want to welcome our satellites all over the world is what I like to say, but definitely we love our satellite in Dwarty. Thank you for being with us. We do have a satellite in Dwarty, and I just want to give them a shout out. Um, and Pasadena and other places too. But uh, we have journeyed through the book of Romans. Well done. Well done. For you who have been with us the entire time, thank you, thank you, thank you. How fun is it to complete a book, to be at the very end? We're in uh, Romans 15 and 16 today, but I want to kind of just remind us where we've journeyed through that in the first session we looked at Romans 1 through 5, and we really just looked at the gospel, right? We looked at, at the message that Paul was bringing. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel in chapter 1 because it is the power of God, right, to bring about salvation and righteousness, to bring about transformation. And so we saw in those first five chapters, we saw what God has accomplished for us through Christ. We saw that we had a problem, right? It's called sin. And uh, we don't like the word, but we are aware of the issue, right? That we live in a broken world and we're part of that and we ourselves need a rescue. And the scriptures in Romans 1 through 5 tell us that we were rescued by Jesus, that we were redeemed, we were made righteous as a gracious act. We were transformed and changed than that God, I mean, I love Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he demonstrated his love. He didn't wait for us to get our act together, but he came and he rescued us. And then the next session, we looked at Romans 6 through 8, and we talked about how the gospel changes us, that we can't remain the same. You can't meet Jesus and not be transformed. You can meet Jesus and you can reject him. That's an option. But you can't have a real and true and authentic encounter with Jesus and not be transformed, not be changed by who he is and by the power of the Spirit. And that's what Paul puts before us in Romans 6 to 8, right? That we are new creations. He says in, in those chapters, he says that we are set free that we were adopted into the family of God, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Remember that truth? That what is true of Jesus is true of us. Right. That we are empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That this Holy Spirit prays for us. That Jesus prays for us. Those, those two bookend truths that we looked at in, in Romans 8, that in the beginning of the chapter, Paul says that in Christ there is no condemnation. So any Christian who is still living under the weight of, of guilt and shame, no more, no more. Christ did not come and die and resurrect and ascend to the Father so that you would continue in shame and guilt and self-pity, right? And then the other truth at the end of that chapter where Paul says so clearly, not only is there no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, there's no separation. There's no longer any separation from the love of Christ. That nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not death, not even death, not the thing we fear the most, right? Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then we've entered in, and we've journeyed this session into Romans 12. 
and where Paul is now saying, okay, I've put this message before you. And then remember, he begins at the very beginning of Romans 12, if you were on retreat, we kind of got jump-started there, that we talked about that therefore. Paul's basically saying, because of everything I've just shared with you in Romans 1 through Romans 11, and what I've shared with you is that God is a merciful God. It's an act of mercy to rescue us. It's an act of mercy to extend grace to us. It's an act of mercy to transform us. And because of that mercy, in view of God's mercy, he says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves a living sacrifice. Live a life that reflects the transformation that Jesus has begun in you and is doing in you. And so we've been looking at just kind of the practical ways of living that out. And then we get to Romans chapter 15. And what I want to look at is I want to look at three things in the life of Paul that he puts on display. We're also going to jump a little bit into 1 Thessalonians 2. But three things that I want to look at in the life of Paul that I want us to apply to us. The first is that Paul had an assignment from God, and so do you, and so do I. We're going to talk about that. Second, we're going to talk about Paul had people, and we need people, and we need a certain kind of people. Paul had a certain kind of people. We're going to look at that. And then we're going to jump over to 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to look at this, that Paul had a vision of the future, and it set his priority. And we need a vision of the future that would set our priority. So let me pray, and we'll look at these three things. Father, thank you that you've sent your spirit here amongst us, that he lives in us who are in Christ, that he moves amongst us, that he does a work of transformation and change that he whispers to us truth and grace. And I pray that even as we look at your word, the voice of the scripture and the spirit would take precedent, would speak louder than any other voice, and we would hear from you. And I pray it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we start in Romans 15, and we look at this assignment. Paul had an assignment, and I'm just going to make some observations as I read through uh, his writings here. Starting in verse 14, it says, Paul says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Now remember who Paul is writing to, right? He's writing to this this fledgling church made up of Gentiles and Jews who have come to see Christ as the Messiah. And he's trying to help them grow as a church. And he's writing to them. And, and they're saying, you need to come to us. You need to come to us. You need. And I think what Paul is saying here, hey, I want to get to you if I can. But you don't need me to come to you. Because guess what? Amongst you, you yourselves are full of goodness. You're filled with knowledge, and you're competent to, res- to instruct one another. And I think that we sometimes in the Western church, we have this idea that we just have to get the, the paid professional to come in, right? 
We need the celebrity Christian to come in and tell us how to do it. And Paul, one, he's, he's kind of a paid professional, but not really. He's kind of kept his day job at times, and then sometimes he takes some offerings up and, and all those kind of things. But I think what Paul is saying is, you, don't, you, you can do this. You've got an assignment. Be the church. This is the work of the church. The work of the church isn't the paid person, and thank you for paying me, but, <laughs> but truly, truly, maybe we're in the way. I don't know. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want to get in the way because Paul is, again, I think he's putting this on display. Hey, you guys are competent. You can do this, and they're probably going, oh, I don't know that much, and we're kind of new to this thing, and, and he's, no, 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 you're competent. Goes on. He says, verse 15, Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. That's Paul's assignment, right? He has an assignment. Now, it doesn't mean he doesn't speak to the Jews. It doesn't mean he doesn't do other things. But he is clear on his assignment, and so he reminds them that he has been called by the grace of God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me, underline this, the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified or made holy by the Holy Spirit. So Paul is clear on his assignment. He has been called to the Gentiles. He's been called to proclaim the beauty of God. He calls it a priestly duty. But here's what's interesting is that Peter will later say, and as he's writing to the churches and his writings, these letters were circulated. So it wasn't just to this person, that person. They might have been set in a certain context, but especially Peter's letter. They're being circulated to the churches. And Peter is saying, hey, guess what? All of you have priestly duties. He says it this way in 1 Peter 2. He says, you, church, you followers of Christ, you are a chosen race, right? You are, a cho- you are chosen by Jesus. See, there was the, the people of Israel who saw themselves as this special, unique group, and they were, but now when Christ comes, the Gentiles are grafted into that, and he's basically saying anyone in Christ is a chosen race. You are a chosen race, and then he says a royal priesthood. So we're going to talk about that. What does it mean that we have been called priests? We talk about it in the church as the priesthood of the believers. That everyone who is a believer is invited into the assignment of priestly duties. You are a holy nation, he says, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. This is what priests do. Paul said this is what he does. He proclaims. There's other things that priests did. Priests made a way for God. This is what the church does. This is what you do. This is what we're all invited to, is that we make a way for people to know and see God. We do it through our lives and how we live. We do it with our lips and what we speak of, right? We make a way. 
What else did priests do? They offered sacrifices to God. And again, Paul has kind of flipped that around and said, no more offering dead animals, offer you. Offer your life. Be a living sacrifice. They had a prophetic role, the priests. They, they spoke of, they proclaimed, right? They, they were witnesses. Paul, Paul, uh, Jesus even said in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, which I believe he comes upon every believer in Christ, he says when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power and you are going to be my witnesses. Not you might be, not all the redheads, to be my witnesses. Um, You, all of you, you will witness to the beauty of Jesus. And you will do it again with your life using the spiritual gifts that God places in you. And you will do it with your lips as you proclaim him. What's other things that priests did? They mediated reconciliation, right? They stood in the gap, if you will. And I think we do that in the life of prayer. First Timothy, Paul said this. He said, all believers, all believers should offer prayers, supplications, and intercessions for all people, particularly for your rulers. But we, by, the, by being people of prayer, that's why we're doing prayer appointments. We believe prayer changes us. We don't believe that we're just, sometimes we feel like we are, but we believe by faith that we're not just talking to the ceiling, that there is a God who is present in us, with us, and he hears us and he delights. You know, Revelation tells us that God does, I don't know what else he keeps, but we know this, he keeps our prayers in bowls. In Revelation says, in the, in the new heaven, in the new earth, in the spiritual realm, God keeps our prayers. Now, is that maybe just an image to give us an idea? But I think what it's saying is that he values our prayers. They're an aroma to him. They're an incense to him. We have been invited to do this priestly work of prayer. Bottom line, we have an assignment you have an assignment. Now, how you live that out will be unique. So how do you know, how do I know my assignment, right? I'm just going to give a few suggestions of how we discover this. And for some of you, um, what I would encourage is maybe it's not so much right now that you're trying to figure out your assignment for the rest of your life, but maybe it's for the next three months. What's my assignment, Lord, for this summer, What's my assignment for the next three months? And here's just some ways that I would encourage you. First, I do think we ask ourselves, what are my talents? What are my gifts? We've been talking some of that in our weekend services. We're looking at the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives. If you search the scripture, there's not a complete list. There's many different gifts that are given. You can look into that. Um, Paul says very clearly, seek the gifts. Seek more of the gifts. Ask him, God, show me my gifts and give me more. Give me more of what you have for me. The next thing that we might do if we're trying to figure out what's my assignment is just look at the scripture. Let the scripture speak to you. 
because there's all kinds of assignments given to followers of Christ. We just listed a whole bunch of them just in considering the priestly duties, right? That we would be people of prayer, that we would offer ourselves as sacrifices, that we would be a part of the ministry of reconciliation. All Christians are invited to proclaim the goodness and the beauty of Jesus, not just those with the gift of evangelism. All Christians are called to be invited into the work of mercy and love and justice. All of us are invited into the spiritual battle. All of us have been given the armor of God. Jesus gives an invitation to his followers, go and make disciples. So again, there's these invitations that are given to believers, but you're kind of saying, Lord, I want to know my unique, where do I put where do I put most of my, myself into? Make sense? And then the third thing I would ask is what's your reality? So again, this process, you're not going to figure this out this morning, but I hope you'll sit in a chair or on your porch or someplace and ask these questions. Because the third question is important and you need to sit in it. What's my reality? And that's determined by your season in life and what the Lord has brought you and allowed to come into your life. And so you might be in a season where you have little tiny ones, right? And that's a different season than having teenagers. You might be in a season where you have an aging parent that you're taking care of, right? You might be in a season where you're battling a disease or someone in your life who is near to you is, and you need to be present to them, right? We don't We don't turn away from our reality. Sometimes Christians have been tempted to ignore difficult reality and say, well, that's why I need to be over here doing my Bible study thing or leading this deal or, you know, feeding the homeless and neglecting the reality that God has placed in that. That's not, that's not the assignment. The assignment you have is not to ignore what is in your life. So again, if you've got little ones, that's going to shape some of your assignment for this season. If, you, if you're a single mom, and, and that, that's going to shape your assignment, right? And what you, the capacity that you have, right? If you're caring for an aging parent, if your spouse or you has lost a job and you're in that season, all those realities shape. But what we trust is that in the assignment of those even difficult things or even wonderful things that are just a season, God is showing up in them. And he's giving you priestly duties in the midst of them. He's giving you the priestly duty of proclamation, of declaring God good. He's giving you the duty of prayer. He's giving you um, all the things that he's put in you in that reality. So you want to ask that question. And then where's your space? That, that I think, is a part of our assignment, right? What street do you live on? <laughs> what, what, are you in an apartment building? Do you go to a workplace every day or sometimes a week or however many things. Do you have kids in school? That carpool line is part of your assignment, right? It's where you show up. And so you're asking the Lord, okay, what's in a sense, what's my space? What's my neighborhood, my workplace? Maybe you're in school. Maybe your kids are in school, all those things. And then, of course, the most important question, what is God speaking to you? What is God speaking to you? And that's the, that's the thing that requires time. 
That's the place that requires quiet. That's the place that requires undistracted, no cell phone, no noises, no th to, to sit and say, God, what are you speaking to me? Because remember, I love Jesus is our model. He said, I only do what is safe. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> I only do what's convenient. I only do what I want to do. I only do what feels reasonable to me, right? No. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only say what the Father tells me to say. And that's why we don't, we don't put judgment on anyone else's assignment, church. Because we trust them to listen to the Lord. And so some people have assignments that their assignment is, I'm a stay-at-home mom. And some people have assignments that say, I'm a working mom who does this and this and this. Some people have assignments that say, I, 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 I got to work this two jobs. I don't know. Some of us have assignments to say, I'm going to lead a group. Some of us have assignments to say, I'm going to mentor a kid. Some of us have assignments who, to 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 do feed the homeless. I don't know, but what we what we what we need is we need to hear from the Lord and we allow him to speak that. And I think then we can be like Paul who in verse 17 says, "Therefore, because of this assignment that I have that I know is from God to minister to the Gentiles, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to the Lord." Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. This isn't a drudgery. This is a glory. And when it feels unsafe or it feels inconvenient or it feels difficult or I feel weary, I glory. Because this is my assignment. Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Verse 19, underline, by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. I, I know people, I've probably been this person so many times, who say, God, I want to see the power of God. I want to see the power of God show up. But you know what sometimes we're wanting? Is we want to see the power of God show up out here, <laughs> but not real close to us. Or... We want the power of God to show up, and then we'll know our assignment. Then we'll do our thing. And here's what I know to be true. The people I know who see the power of God show up in real and authentic ways, I'm not talking about big hyped-up ways. I mean long-lasting ways, again. You know, sometimes you can get a you know, one-time moment or whatever. They're the people who put themselves in places where the power of God has to show up. Are you married? The power of God has to show up. <laughs> Do you have children? The power of God has to show up. Do you own a business? The power of God has to show up. Are you an employee who has a boss? The power of God has to show up, right? Do you have coworkers? Do you have people you're responsible for? The power of God has to show up. Are you living on a street where you go, I don't even know my neighbors and they're so different than me and I don't know what I would do. The power of God has to show up. 
Do you live in an apartment building where you are just so frustrated with the loud neighbors nearby and you don't want to love them to Jesus? Might be an experience I'm familiar with. And you need the Spirit of God to show up, right? Do you have teenagers? You need the Spirit of God to show up. Are you an empty nester? Still wanting to parent your 27-year-old? You need the power of God to show up, right? So this is where our assignment puts us in a place where we need the power of God. Do you want to lead a group? You need the power of God to show up. You're going to share your faith? You need the power of God to show up. You're going to step out and risk and do something, go to Mexico with us, and that feels really scary. You need the power of God to show up. Put yourself in places where the power of God has to show up for you, and you will experience the power of God. What will help you with all of this? People. I love this about Paul. Paul had people, and we need people. And the people that Paul had were a certain kind of people. Remember, this is one of my favorite parts of this uh, in the study guide this week was that assignment to look at all the people that Paul lists, right? And he lists all these people. And right before he begins that list, he sends out kind of a prayer request. He says, uh, at the end of uh, chapter 15, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, and he calls them, they're like family to him, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Do you have people who pray for you? We need people who pray for us. The other thing that I just made some observations on the kind of people that Paul had around him, and I want to suggest to you, you need at least, you don't need, I mean, Paul lists like 37 people. Maybe you just have three, but three is awesome, okay? Uh, But you need some people like this. Isn't it cool, too, that 12 of them were women? This is radical, a little side note, that Paul had so many women engaged in the gospel movement with him in leadership to the point that even one of them, at least one of them, went to prison. This is radical that these women were helping to start the new church. Anyway, side note. Paul had people. We need people. His people prayed. They were people who were on mission with him. We need some people who maybe they don't have the exact assignment, but they understand our assignment and they're with us in it. They're for us in it. They're encouraging us in it. And you're encouraging them in their assignment. They were people who Paul referred to as, you know, fellow ministers. They were co-laborers in the gospel, right? We need people who want to do this with us. That's why I love it when we have co-leaders in our groups um, who lead our tables, who lead our life groups. When people co-lead, we want to even, I I feel like we need to get our culture um, that we get more and more of you leading together. I love on Tuesday night we have these co-leaders and they meet once a week. I don't know if they meet physically or if they just call each other on the phone, but they pray together every week for their table, right? And they're holding each other up because here's the deal. When you lead, leadership can get really hard. You can get crazy people in your group and you need the power of God to show up, right? You can get flaky people in your group. They come, they go, they don't show up all the time. You need the spirit of God to show up and you need your co-leader to show up because then you're like, well, we're here, right? So you got a co-leader, you got somebody doing it with you. I'm not alone in this, right? Paul was not alone. He had people who were in prison with him. He had people who were going with him, going before him, coming behind him, right? They were people who took risks. If you don't have risk-taking people, 
you'll never see the power of God show up. I'm so thankful. I have friends who take greater risks than me all the time, and they help me see the power of God show up in them, and then I want the power of God to show up in me, right? This is the other thing. They were hardworking. Do you have friends who you can count on? Friends like these that Paul mentions, he talks about them, and these are the words I wrote down about what they, how he described them. These were, might be my words, but they were diligent. They were responsible. They were faithful. They were obedient. They were hospitable, right? They welcomed people into their homes. And guess what? They all had day jobs. None of these were professional Christians. They were hardworking. Find some faithful, hardworking friends. People who will show up and get the job done with you. They suffered with him. Again, they went to prison with him. Do you have people who will suffer with you? Will you suffer with people? And I love that they were like family. Remember, he said that she was like a mother to me. He calls them brothers and sisters, right? But there is a warning that Paul gives. He says, watch out for those who cause divisions put, and put obstacles in your way. Keep away from them. So here's a little warning. You might need to um, get rid of some people in the, in the name of Jesus. I mean, lovingly, kindly, or whatever. <clears throat> but Paul is warning us, do you have people who cause divisions? If you have people and their gossips... They're divisive. They're constantly critical. The only thing they can bring to the table is critique and how to do it different or what was wrong with it. Now, I'm not against critique, and I'm one of those people myself, but, I can, but, but if that's all they got, no, they need to go. Do they put obstacles in your way? Are they the person who says, oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, that's not going to be very safe. Oh, I wouldn't go there. Oh, my gosh, you have a, we have a family from CA. They've been taking, they've been going to the Philippines and, and to the poorest of poor. They've been, now they have three kids. Every one of their kids has gone to the Philippines with them as little tiny babies. And now, now they've got toddler down like that. And, and I'm sure they've got people in their life who are like, you should not take your children to that nasty dump area. No, they're taking their kids, and they're seeing the power of God show up, right? Do you have people who encourage you to step in to what God is inviting you to? Are they putting obstacles? Are they always the naysayer? Are you, okay, and here's the thing. Is Paul warning people about you? Am I that person? I need to be careful, Right? Am I that person? Am I the one causing division? Am I the one putting an obstacle in the way of what God is doing? Paul says this, keep away from them. Keep away. That's big. Okay, so who are your people? And then the last thing real quickly is that Paul saw the future and it set his priority. I love this in 1 Thessalonians 2. I'll just jump down to the last verse. He says, he's telling them, hey, we, we came to you. He took great risk to come to them. We came to you. We were like a mother to you. We were like a father to you. We were well pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very lives. We loved you. And then Paul goes on and on and on and on about this relationship of discipleship that he had with this church and then in verse 19 he says for what is our hope 
our joy or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Paul was always living expected of, the, of Christ returning. And he says, when I see Jesus, what am I going to glory in? What's going to be my crown? What's going to be my spiritual reward, if you will? And what does he say? You. You are our glory and our joy. The priority of Paul was people. Investing in the lives of people. Investing in the, taking the gospel. Not just the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of transformation to people. Because he knew that when he got to heaven or new heaven, new earth, when he got to that place, when he sees Jesus, what he's going to glory in isn't his amazing preaching. He had no idea that his writing would go around the world. It wasn't going to be his letters. It was going to be you. There's another place where Paul says, you need my resume? You want my references? And then he just lists all these people, right? You're my references. You're my resume. It sets our priority. So, Sit before the Lord this week if you have time. What's your assignment? Who are your people? And how is your vision of the future setting your priorities on the lives of others and the path of discipleship, of helping others know and follow and be in Christ? Father, would you do that in us and through us? I pray for each person here. And God, I pray for the person who's saying, I don't know if I have people. I pray you give them people. I pray you give them people, God. One person, two people. I pray for the places in us. If we're the person that Paul's warning about, would you change us, transform us, make us people who aren't putting obstacles in people's way, who aren't creating divisions, but are creating a path of life on mission with you together with others, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen.